Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. It's a Reaction Monday, presented by Superbook.com. Here's Orlando Franklin and Chad Brown to break down yesterday's win over Houston. were out yesterday. Things got so bad on the field that the Bronco fans were letting Russell Wilson and the offense know what the play clock was at. Mm-hmm. Had you ever seen that before? No, I have not. Um, you you expect you you just expect the, the, the offensive coordinator to just know exactly what's going on, where you're at with the situation. Uh, Seattle, I get it. You, you tried to go out in Seattle. You tried to go in the huddle with two different plays. It's a loud atmosphere. There was different miscues. Maybe you're having, you have to say it five different times to Russ over the headset. By the way, those headsets that the quarterback has, that as far as their error, it cuts out at a certain time as well. When 15 seconds left on the play clock. Uh, yeah, so you can't communicate anymore. But what what really bothers me, it's just like you should know what you're doing in every situation. So Nathaniel Hackett, when when you call a play and say it's third and ten, what's going through your mind right now? Because for me, I I'm gonna have a short yardage play. If I, if we're we're in go for it mode, I'm gonna have a running pass immediately mm-hmm. in that situation. And if we don't pick up anything, I know exactly what I'm doing, whether I'm punting or, or I'm kicking a field goal. And it just looks like a lack of preparation. Like, we're not thinking about the next down where it is, where it is, Chad, we're, we're in training camp, we're in the room, it's 73 degrees, and I'm drawing up a perfect play. So every play is a first down. That's mm-hmm. the thought process that I, that I have when I see Mm-hmm. These miscues and these woes when it comes to the play clock and what Nathaniel Hackett is doing. Mm. Okay. All right. So your experience in San Francisco, working with with Kyle, um, as the play caller, there's a there's a there's a rhythmic part of the play caller, um, and it's it's second and ten. Maybe you got stopped on first down. So it's second and ten. You're calling the play, and as soon as you put that play in, you have got to be immediately looking at your play sheet thinking about what's the possible outcome of this second down play. Therefore, I've got my third down play in mind. If it's third and short, I'm going with this. If it's still, it's going to be third and ten, we have no success here on second down, then it's going to be this. And that's exactly what Kyle did last year. Right. Like, like you, And you could hear it. Like, so for me, I'm, I'm a puppy in the game, right? right? I'm just learning about this coaching thing. I'm learning as I go. And that's what I honestly thought that saw that was so incredible to me. The fact that you just called a play, it's second and ten, but immediately Kyle goes to talking and the coaches can hear him talk and you know that he's not talking to Jimmy at that point. He's like, hey, if we don't get it right here and, you know, it gets to third and, and, and medium, I'm thinking this play. And he's communicating with the other coaches about the next play. Mm-hmm. Before the second and ten play has even been ran. Right. And that's what you have to do as a coach. You cannot sit here and wait for the result and outcome. And, and then it's like, oh, wh- where's that play again? And and have that discussion. I've been on those headsets last year where it's second and ten. And Kyle already is saying, hey, where is that? I'm trying to get it to third and five. Where is this play? 
and he's talking to coaches and McDaniels and be like, hey, that's um, wristband 46, Kyle. Or, or you know, Bobby Sloat, the pass game coordinator, if it's a passing play, hey, Kyle, that's wristband 48, right? And those guys are jumping in if Kyle's asking that question. Or Kyle's saying, hey, this is the play we're going with next if it's third and manageable, right? And and then if it's a first down, hey, okay, we'll, 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 get a, we'll go to our, our run game or we'll go to a, a – specific part of the wristband that's now red area that we like on first and 10 and things like that. And the Broncos are not doing that. It does not look like anybody understands where they're going after. Like, like for I, I get that you have to live in the moment, but football takes a little bit of planning. It takes a little <laughs> bit of, hey, a little we gotta, bit, we just a little bit. Yeah. Not after, right? right. Okay. All right. So, the Bronco fans' reaction yesterday. We here on the station we caught heat because uh, we weren't we weren't moving on fast enough. Mm. We were diving too deeply into it was on it was on to it was on to Houston right right. right. We were diving too <laughs> deeply into the Monday night game, and you know I guess in our defense there was continual new news because there was the decision not to keep it in Russ's hands and to go with the field goal. And then, you know, then Coach Hackett had a chance to speak. And then Russ had a chance to speak. And then Hackett had that chance to speak after Russ had a chance to speak. Mm. So we had to react to all that news. So we weren't trying to just keep digging the same hole, but as new news became up, we had to keep talking about Monday night's game. Yes. The fears, concerns, worries, issues from Monday night, they showed up again here yesterday. Yeah, not enough corrections. That, so the the... Mistakes were repeated. The corrections didn't take hold. They may they may have tried to happen in practice, but they didn't take hold. So I'm not sure if a correction is actually a correction until it actually takes hold there. Mm. So this fan's reaction, were you shocked by the boos? Were you shocked by the fan's reaction out there? No. This is Bronco country. That's why I love it here. Uh-huh. That's why I live here. You know, this fan base will tell you exactly what it is. I remember when I got here, Chad, in 2011, fans are sitting there, hey, Big O, 4-12 and 12 is not good enough. I'm looking at them like, hey, I wasn't on this football team last year. I just got here. <laughs> right. But they're letting you know. Mm-hmm. I look at the, the Tebow mania stuff, right, where they basically started, they put up a, a billboard downtown they're basically telling the, this whole organization that they need to move away from Kyle Orton and demanding it as a fan base. So when you sit here now and you give up what you gave up, the Broncos would be one-on-one, one-and-one right now if they had Drew Locke. They would be a one-and-one football team right now with Drew Locke. Mm -hmm. They would have a first-round pick in this year's draft, a first-round pick in next year's draft. They'd have Shelby Harris still here on this football team, and they would have a whole lot more money in the bank. Mm -hmm. Where you go out now and you trade, you give up what you had to give up for Russell Wilson, you now make him the highest paid, the second highest paid football player in the National Football League. The results are supposed to be different. It's supposed to look a lot better than it does. So I'm not surprised at all. This is the same fan base. When I left the Broncos and went to the Chargers, Chad, I had to delete my social media because I had little 10-year-olds hitting me up on Twitter <laughs> chirping me. So I'm not shocked at all. This right. fan base is passionate. Mm-hmm. And for the last six years... It hasn't been real football. And now you finally have made some changes where this fan base could get excited and you're seeing a coaching staff make mistake after mistake 
but also you're seeing a coaching staff that have came in and has kind of been a little too light on the players where you're having 25 penalties in two football games, which is just an absurd amount where the fans are fed up and they're not going to wait. So not no, no not shocking at all. Was shocked that it started, the booze started in the first quarter, but they were definitely warranted in the second quarter and moving forward, and I wasn't shocked about that. As a player on the outside of this organization, I've always respected the Broncos, played against them uh, so many times as a Steeler, as a Patriot, uh, particularly as a Seahawk when we were all in the AFC West together before the Seahawks moved to the NFC West. Uh, so I've got a tremendous amount of respect. But it's always been from an outside perspective. Is there a, a, a saying in that, you know, Mike Tomlin with the Steelers, he says the standard is a standard. And that's not a Bill Cower phrase or a Chuck Knoll phrase. But that speaks to the entire Steeler organization. Mm-hmm. When you think of the Pittsburgh Steelers, the standard is the standard out there. Is there a saying like that in, in, in the Broncos, uh, you know, locker rooms that you know something like that, or is it just there's just a high level of expectations? Um, Simple as that. Um, I, I don't remember a saying particularly like that. Yeah, there's quotes and stuff like that, and you read them every once in a while and things like that. I could just tell you kind of what our philosophy was when I was here. Offensively, it was. Let's see how fast we could get to 35 and rest our starters. <laughs> let's let's develop these young guys. Right. That, that's the approach. Literally, that's what the offensive coordinator sat there and said. And and that's what bothers me about the Broncos. When there are games that you should, it should not even be close, where you should be able to see some Brett Ripon yesterday. We should be able to see Mike Boone in the backfield and just solely operate in the backfield because Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams have had a good day. And you should see a couple guys be rotated in on the offensive line position. And defensively, the exact same thing where, you know, Bradley Chubb was saying, hell, hell no, coach. Like, I want to go get my sacks. And, and Randy Gregg they're like fighting to stay in mm-hmm. the game where the Broncos are not taking care of the teams that they should take care of. It reminds me of the Nuggets, honestly, with Nicole Jokic, where you go out, you play certain games, and you're expecting Moni to play 25 minutes, but all of a sudden he has to play 35, and you're battling against Orlando, and you squeak past them at the end. Right now, the Broncos are not p- passing the eye test. I feel you on that. We got our buddy Troy Rank. He's up next. It's a Reaction Monday, presented by Superbook.com. Here's Orlando Franklin and Chad Brown to break down yesterday's win over Houston. We welcome in Troy Rank of Denver 7. Troy is presented by ROX, Rocks, Heating, and Air. Hey, Troy, welcome to a uh, another Overreaction Monday. Yeah, it was. I've covered a lot of games at the at that stadium. I'm not sure the fans have ever felt more hollow after a win. You need not apologize for a win in the NFL. You guys know that, but the number of issues they still can ha- continue to have offensively with the entire operation, and then it's sometimes in special teams. It, it's alarming. It, frankly, it's alarming. We uh, here as a station, Troy, we suffered a bit last week. We were accused on the text line and by callers of. You know, uh, beating on a dead horse and not moving on after the Broncos lost on Monday night and making too much of some of the issues we saw out there in Seattle, the red zone issues, the penalty issues, the lack of offensive efficiency, the lack of coordination and communication and procedure from the coaching staff to the players. Then it showed up in week two again. And now, as we saw yesterday, the Bronco fans are upset. How did such a quick flip happen? 
Yeah, I mean, listen, Nathaniel Hackett's a bright guy. He's known for innovation, collaboration, uh, his ability to get guys in position to succeed. He's built trust and relationships with players. And some of that has played out. His trust with players is frankly helping him tremendously right now after these first two games. But if it were me, Chad, I would put a veteran offensive guy in the booth at this point moving forward, whether that's somebody that knows Russell or he knows, because it's not working. And you don't want your ego to get in the way of progress. And it's not just it's that it's clunky. And you're like, oh, it's a you know weird play call here or that. It's the entire operation. The play is getting in late. They're getting to the line of scrimmage late. It's limiting audibles there. And then when they get into the red zone, they're 0 for 6 in the red zone. I think first team to you know, have that many tips in the first two weeks and not score since 2010. And they fall in love with the pass. And I don't know, and it's hard to get a, you know, a salient answer on this, is that Nate Hackett deferring to Russell Wilson? He said yesterday they liked the matchup with Sutton. I understand, but then when Sutton got called out of bounds on that one and it wasn't a touchdown, run the damn ball. Javante Williams was your best offensive player. Boring can be good at times. You don't have to be cute in football if, if it's working. So they just need to figure out who they are offensively. And right now it just looks like they're caught in between. He's trying to, you know, seed the Russell some, but in the process he's trying to put his stamp on it, and then they seem to forget what they do well, which has been run the football these first two weeks. And, and that, and then you throw in the 25 penalties, which they've never had that many penalties in the history of the Broncos in consecutive games. That falls back on the coach, guys. Mm. I'm telling you, that goes right back to the coach. There's no excuses for that. Mm. Troy, when you look at this whole situation, on Monday night, a lot was said just because of the coaching. You, you lost that game. Bad decision. Um, is this one a little bit more on the players? You, you kind of talked about 25%, uh, 25 penalties. Uh, we saw what happened in the red zone. It, do we have to put a little bit more on the players at this point? Well, some of the penalties, yes. I mean, especially the pre-snap penalties, you know, false starts, offsides, crummy, some of that, that's 100% on the players. As a coach, you can accept aggressive penalties at times. There's going to be a late hitter there you know, a block. I mean, some of that, you know, the intention was right, but pre-snap penalties, you guys know this, those kill you and they prevent you from winning games when you just constantly put yourself behind the chains and force yourself to play uphill. They're not good enough to do that right now against a good team. And they're going to find out this week what that looks like because Seattle and Houston, with all due respect, I mean, those teams, they're considered five, six win teams at best by most people. San Francisco has a chance to go back to the Super Bowl in the NFC, especially now with Garoppolo at quarterback. They're going to find out. But, oh, yeah, somebody, I'm not excusing the players. I've just been alarmed at the operation offensively that we're seeing with Hackett and what we're seeing at the goal line. Cannot have a punt returner in, and you have to. At one point, the crowd, you guys I'm sure have talked about, was mocking the team by counting down the play clock. That's how frustrated the crowd was with the penalties. I've never seen that, and we've covered some weird stuff over the last six years here, all seasons that ended without a playoff berth. That's why I don't think any of this is a knee-jerk reaction. There's things that Hackett needs to step back and go, okay, what do I need to simplify to make this easier for him and for his players? Because something's not resonating on game day. Troy, the Broncos were a two-and-a-half-point favorite Versus San Francisco, then overnight they've gone to a one-point underdog. Is that because of 
what the Broncos put on the field yesterday were a result of Jimmy G now being the starting quarterback for the 49ers over Trey Lance, who went out with the ankle injury? I think it's both. I mean, the Broncos have averaged, have scored 32 points in two games and have shown no red zone proficiency at all. And San Francisco's defense is Herculean at times. That's a nasty defense. And Jimmy G gives, I mean, Orlando lived it. He coached her last year. He gives them a better chance to win right now. Long term, obviously, they wanted Trey Lance. And could he be their modern Robert Griffin III? Maybe, but he's out for the year. And if you're talking about who gives them the best chance to win right now, it's Jimmy Garoppolo. The thing about Jimmy is he will throw a couple of passes a game where you just put your hands over your face and go, what was that? But he also makes a couple plays, and the guys play for him. They love the guy, and they've, they've won with him. And you guys have lived that in the locker room. In my experience in the NFL, guys who rally around quarterbacks who win games. It doesn't have to look pretty to them. They just find a way to win, and Jimmy's shown a knack for that. He benefits from a great defense and an unbelievable running game. But Jimmy G gives them a better chance to win right now than Trey Lance was. If, I, if Trey Lance was quarterbacking, I would say the Broncos could still win that game. I don't know now what – to me now it would be an upset if the Broncos beat the Niners based on the Broncos team I've seen the first two weeks. Mm. Um, Troy, I want, I want to read a, a, a quote from our friend Andrew Mason. This is Russell Wilson yesterday after the game. Russ says, I believe in Coach Hackett. I believe in who he is. I believe in his understanding of the game. At the same time, there are little things we all can do better, me included. What do you think that means? Is that a shot at Nathaniel Hackett by, from Russell Wilson? Is that Russell Wilson voicing his frustration? What exactly do you think that that quote means? Well, I mean, that's as close as you're going to see of Russell Wilson being critical uh, of something early on in this marriage. Um, he, he does like Nathaniel Hackett. They're, that is not fake. That is genuine. He appreciates their relationship and their friendship, but it needs to be better. And Russ hasn't been perfect either. I mean, he wasn't as bad as the numbers might suggest yesterday because they had, what, three or four drops. And I thought he played well against Seattle, frankly. But it needs to be tightened up between the two of them. That's what I keep saying. Like, is he deferring to Russ too much and trying to get the perfect play call? Or is it? does he need to just say, here's two plays, Russ, go to the line of scrimmage, you call the one you want. Simplify it. Something is not being clarified that's creating this muddiness that we're seeing in full bloom these past two Sundays. But he does like Hackett. He does respect his knowledge of the game. That is all true. But all of that is different from calling plays on game day. And they need to figure out between the two of them, because they're really the ones that are kind of going to make this thing work, what needs to change. Do you simplify it? Do you, how you talk to him in, the, in, the, in his helmet? Is it get the play out, get him to the line of scrimmage sooner? I don't know what that exact answer is, but what they're doing right now is not sustainable in terms of being a competitive team against good teams. What is the uh, biggest issue, Troy? Last question for us. The delay of game penalties, the miscommunication on offense, the red zone issues. What is the biggest one for you right now that needs to be corrected ASAP? I would say the offense because that's the most disappointing. Penalties, for the most part, can start cleaning up. Some of it's the officiating crew. Some of it's young players understanding what the league is and what they call what they don't. For the most part, you can go from 12 penalties in a game to seven the next week. The offense, to me, specifically in the red zone, has to be fixed. It has to be fixed because 16 points a game, last year they were 19 points a game, and they were brutal. Uh, 
and they haven't averaged more than they haven't reached 21 points a game since Peyton Manning retired. So the thing that needs to be fixed is finding out the fit and starting to figure out the identity of this offense moving forward to where you can score 25 points a game. Because if you can't do that, you're staring at a six, seven, eight win season. That's the reality of the modern NFL. Thanks, Troy. Appreciate it, buddy. You got it, guys. Take care. Have a great show. That was Troy Rank of Denver 7. Troy is presented by ROX, Rocks, Heating, and Air. When Orlando and I come back, uh, did week three for the Broncos become a little bit more difficult due to the Trey Lance injury? We'll talk about the 49ers with Trey Lance and the 49ers with Jimmy G, which is a more difficult matchup for these Broncos. Owen and I get to that next. It's a Reaction Monday, presented by Superbook.com. Here's Orlando Franklin and Chad Brown to break down yesterday's win over Houston. Orlando Franklin filling in for Nate Jackson. And no one better to uh, deal with the next subject at hand than you, Big O. Broncos' next opponent, San Francisco, Sunday night. National TV audience will get a chance to see the Broncos and 49ers come together in a clash of uh, the Shanahan offense, someone who stays loyal to it, and Kyle, and the Shanahan-esque offense of Nathaniel Hackett here, who gets a little too in love with the pass. So (laughs) we'll see that play out. Um, But we'll also see... Uh, a different quarterback under center for the 49ers. Jimmy G took over yesterday after Trey Lance went out with a season-ending ankle injury. Oh, uh, done. Yes. Wow. Season-ending. So all this Trey Lance talk out there in San Fran, all this consternation, all this dilemma, what do we do? Mm. Uh, they bring Jimmy G back. Uh, it seemed like a smart move then. It's got to be uh, even a, a more <laughs> yes, much smarter move now at this point. Uh, in hindsight, for he and for Kyle and John Lynch, and as evidenced by the line moving from the Broncos being favored now the Broncos being an underdog in this game. Apparently, Vegas mm-hmm. sees more value in Jimmy G. I had Trey Lance uh, in Week One, uh, the Forty ers versus the Bears. Yeah. Trey Lance was not ready for prime time. Yeah. If Trey Lance was going to be the quarterback, then I had to would have to give the favor to the Broncos. But now that it's Jimmy G. Thank goodness who, for who, our press boxes, huh? Yes. One for you, huh? Yeah. 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 <laughs> who played in the Super Bowl, took the Niners to the championship game yeah. last year. Um, now is back under center. I expect this team to be even better. Yeah. I would argue that San Francisco 49ers are going to be even more prepared going into this game with Jimmy Garoppolo. Because right. That chemistry. The fact that Kyle Shanahan has been with Jimmy for many, many years, Mm -hmm. you know, and you mix that in with the fact that yesterday San Francisco ran the ball 45 times. I don't believe that this Broncos defense is ready for that. I look at the fact that San Francisco, not only did they run the ball 45 times yesterday and they went against Seattle, they said, the heck with it. We're going to only throw the ball uh, on the whole entire day. We're going to throw the ball 24 times because when something is not broke, you do not fix it. So I, I look at just the mindset, and I know the mindset of that coaching staff, you look at people and you pick on the weaknesses. George Kittle, very close. George Kittle was a game-time decision for the 49ers. That terrifies me mm-hmm. going into this week with a guy <laughs> like Jimmy Garoppolo because I know how Kyle does it. It's, hey, Debo, you're going for 100 today. Hey, um, hey Kittle, you're going, you're back, 100. Mm-hmm. Hey, Brandon Ayu, the expectation is that you're 80, 80-plus, 80 
hey, and we're going to give them a steady dosage of, and we're going to run the ball downhill at these guys. But everything is mixed off of something as well. Mm-hmm. So when they are taking these shots down the field and they're having these play action passes, well, guess what? They've ran the ball at least two or three times that have looked the exact same as this pass that you're getting ready to see. So that's why you see the numbers when you look at the box score for San Francisco yesterday, 45 runs to 24 pass attempts. And that terrifies me, honestly, Chad, going into this week for the Broncos. And you see Vegas, they they switched that thing so quick. Looks like, it sounds as if, Pat Sertan will be out a bit. Mm. Ebo Sam is one of the best weapons in all of the NFL. Um, week one against the Bears, uh, he made most of his impact in the running game because Trey Lance was just simply not up to speed uh, with the ability to deliver a ball to him in the passing game. Yes. But now with Jimmy G, that brings that passing, that reception part back for uh, Debo. Yeah, and what they're also doing now in San Francisco that Jimmy is going to really excel at over Trey Lance is they have tr- started to trust Brandon Ayuk as well. Mm-hmm. So now it's no longer that you're only calling play action passes for Debo and George Kittle. Now you've got to mix in B.A. into the into that factor. And for the Broncos, that's going to be tough when you're missing maybe a Patrick Sertain. You already have, you're already missing Justin Simmons. We saw Damari Mathis out there. Damari Mathis, from what I saw yesterday, Oh, you, you better get a hell of a lot better this week if you want to get any snaps in this game because you will be exposed. Demari had some flashes. I, I will get for a rookie, he had some flashes, a couple nice tackles against a back who's difficult to tackle. I, I just want to see him not allow guys in the in the passing game to get open like it's college football. Right. Well, that 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 that's the issue. There were some flashes, but there were also some inconsistencies out there. I would expect them to be better from week one to week two, being asked to to be a full time player. But at the same time, if you're Kyle Shanahan, you're breaking down the Damari Mathis miscues, and you're building your game plan, the passing game plan around that. Certainly. Yeah, they're walking in. They're walking in today. They're saying, hey, 27's on the field. We're going at 27. Right. We're going to test out 23 as well. And, oh, man, the possibility of number two not playing. If number two doesn't play, we'd go wherever we want with the football. Right. And that will be the thought process. Uh, Sorry, the thought process would be if number two doesn't play, throw to anybody but who K1 Williams is on. Right. So wherever 21 is on, don't throw to him, but you have four other options. I have such a uh, admiration, probably a good word there, for offensive coaches who seek out the weak fish mm. and then just go after them mm. over and over and over. Now, when I do college football and I'm up and calling the game, sometimes I start to feel bad because I've got to talk about yes, what's that happening. defensive mindset's kicking in right there. No, it's not. I don't feel oh, bad for the, the defender. Oh, because you feel like you've been... Yeah, but I have to talk about what's happening out yeah. there. And, you know, there it is. You know, Johnny Smith, number 27, victimized again on a double move and, you know, stop and go route. Or yeah. he, you know, and so he's got a mom and dad at home. So yeah. I feel bad that I've got to talk about how they this kid's being attacked in a college football game. This is the NFL. Yeah. And so from a broadcasting standpoint, I go from feeling bad. But then in the NFL, I love those coaches. Yeah. Find the weak fish and go after them. Yeah. When I was a Pop Warner coach, um, and I was a play caller. 
I would tell my coaches, you know, because we didn't watch tape on who we were coming, you know, had come up that week. Yeah. I was like, in the, within the first two th- series, find me the weak fish. Yep. Find me the weak fish, and I will call plays, unfortunately, to go after that kid every time until the coaches replace him. Put somebody else in. Yeah, there was. there's no better feeling when you know as a offense that you're attacking a specific person. Yeah. And, you know, here with the Broncos having a guy like Peyton Manning in the quarterback position, Peyton walk in on a Wednesday tell you exactly who we're going at. Right. And, like, you're in that Wednesday morning. You're installing. We're doing the run game. He's like, hey, we're going at 27 this week, guys. I'm letting you know right now. And it, it becomes so obvious where now as an offensive lineman, and I've always been a guy that wants to play and be down the field and, you know, trying to pick up a block or trying to make sure, you know, maybe get to usher a guy in the end zone or be the first guy down there to celebrate. Where now when I know that we're dialed in and we've already caught a couple balls, like if, if I was on the football field yesterday and we're going at uh, 24, I would have ran by the 24 and been like, hey, Stingley, how you feeling? You know, hey, just letting you know, we, there's a lot more football left. Yep. We're going to keep on coming. Like, I just start chirping these guys because you know the game plan. So when you're able to do that, that that's sensational. And I thought the Broncos, offensively, I thought that that was a little bit of the game plan. We're going to go at Stingley. Mm-hmm. We're, we don't, we're not backing down from him. We're going to see what he can do. And, and they were able to expose him. And as you know it, as well as I know it, Chad, this is a copycat league. Stingley just opened up a bag of worms yesterday where now whoever else is on Houston's uh, going, whoever else is on Houston's um, opponent sheet, they're going to be looking for where 24 is and, and see what the Broncos were able to, the success they had yesterday. Yeah, what you put on tape, coaches will find a way to run away from it or to exploit it. Uh, so for Damari Mathis, yeah, Kyle Shanahan uh, is watching tape today, today, looking at you specifically and figuring out what he can do to confuse you, get you turned around, take advantage of your skill set where it's not so strong. Uh, you will be tested big time. Uh, if Pat Tan's not playing or if he's, playing, he's limited and you're on the field a lot, just know that. Experienced coaches with that weak fish mindset, they don't stop. They just keep coming at you. It's going to be a long day, baby. Long, long day. Uh, when Big, big O and I come back, uh, put a bow on the show for us. Uh, it is an overreaction Monday. Let's continue to deal with some of the negatives and shine a light on a few of the positives. That's next. It's a reaction Monday presented by Superbook.com. Here's Orlando Franklin and Chad Brown to break down yesterday's win over Houston. Earlier in the show, you and, uh, you and I were talking, oh, about the fans booing. And you threw out, you had to turn the game off yourself. Mm. Dang, Chad, you gonna, this is my second day sitting with you. You're going to throw me under the bus like that to all the listeners? Uh, no, it's not, it's not under the bus. It's, I'm, I'm trying to relay the fact that uh, the fans' frustration, mm. they were not alone. Yes. A former Bronco with vested interest. Yes. Turned off. You, you turned I know, off. You, you I know the game later on. Yeah, I know they try to tell us like, hey, once you're a part of the media, that you have to, you know, watch it from a, a the, with the media goggles. When when I'm watching the Broncos, it's hard for me, Chad. I, I don't know what if it is for you or or not when you're watching like the Steelers and the Seahawks, but it, it's really hard for me to just look at the Broncos from a media perspective. There's a, a little fanboy in me that that roots for the Broncos every single week. And when they're doing horrible, like they were doing yesterday, I literally had to turn it off 
at the start of the third quarter mm-hmm. and go back and watch the rest of the game this morning because I, w- I just had it. Yeah. So, you're, Bronco fans, uh, you're not alone. Big O had to turn it off. It was a, it was a, it was a frustrating watch, and maybe the most frustrating win that I can recall uh, in recent memory for the Broncos. And we've had some pretty frustrating wins uh, in the last five or six years. Um, yeah, you don't apologize. You don't put an asterisk by it. It's a win. It's a win. It's a win. Um, not all wins are going to be pretty, um, but that one was not just ugly. It was frustrating to watch, to see this team still struggle with, again, the elemental parts of football, the basics in football. You are a punt returner. Let's, let's let, let just real quick. Okay, so anybody who's played high school football knows how that works. Yep. There's a coach who's responsible for special teams. And on third down, that coach says, walking up and down the sideline, pump return, get ready. Yep. Pump return, pump return. Pump return on deck, on deck. Yes. And typically, that pump return unit is supposed to kind of kind of loosely huddle together yes. there. As, as, much, as much guys as possible, right. right? You'll have some defensive players immediately. They'll get up and they, they now and stop doing their correction. Some offensive players as well. And, and you might have one or two, a couple guys that are on the field that are on that unit. But it's like a little muddle huddle around the coach on the sideline. Right. And typically someone's responsible for giving the count. And that coach will have a sense of, okay, I got, I got, uh, I got nine guys. Two others are on the field offensively. Okay, we're good or defensively, whatever the case may be. So there's a, there's, a, there's a conversation. There's a procedure in place. And for an NFL team, not just to have, oh, the guy who's playing left guard is not out there because, oh, I'm the third left guard, and we had a bunch of injuries, and the special teams coach maybe didn't communicate with me, or the case may be. But your punt returner, Who's also typically the guy that does that count to make sure that 11 guys are out there. Is not on the field. I know he's a rookie. I know he's a rookie. But that, it's part where you're, that's your opportunity. That's what, that's what you're here for. You mm. were drafted to be mm. that guy. Yeah. I couldn't imagine ever missing a third down rep, an opportunity to rush the quarterback. Mm. That's why I was on the field. That's why you brought me here to do this stuff. Yeah. And that's why it's so much more worse. I know that there was injuries offensively, Montreal. I know that you got a little bit more playing time offensively, Montreal, this week versus week one against Seattle. But you're still the punt returner. Every single time they call punt return, there should never be a mistake with that. You should be the first person up and ready to go in a situation like that. You always are are looking up at the clock. And, And here's the harsh reality. You also don't play that many snaps. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of corrections. You're a rookie. There's not a lot of coaches talking to you either, right? So even when the offense comes off the field and there are going to corrections and Kubiak's is with, with Russ and, you know, the offensive line coaches with Butch Berry and all these guys are, are with their coaches and they're looking through the pictures. Montreal, Washington, you probably got two plays. Your corrections are very quick. They're very easy. So as soon as you start hearing your special teams coach yelling down the field, punt return, punt return. At that point, because you have so many less corrections, because you're not playing a lot in the football game, you should be tied at the hip now with that coach. Hey, where are we going? Okay, coach, what are, you, what are we thinking right here? You know, so th- that's inexcusable. I-, I thought he made, there was a couple of dicey decisions as well. I, I-, I do believe that he looked a lot better than week he one. He did. But 
that first punt, and yeah, I know he returned it for tw- for about twenty yards, and Beck got the, the the block in the back, or or Beck got the penalty. So, but that was a questionable decision because you're you're backing up all the way to the five in a situation like that. Thank goodness that you're as shifty and you were able to make a positive out of that. But it's inexcusable not to be out there that this team had to blow a, pe- a timeout on you because you're not out there doing your job. That's your number one job. All right, we had some balance in the run-pass game, but the wrong kind of balance. Seven guys catching passes. Seven guys. That's great, right? Seven guys, Russ is distributing the ball in the passing game, right? But seven guys toting a rock. What up with that, man? What what up with that? (laughs) The Broncos done bumped their head, Chad. It makes absolutely no sense. When you have Javante Williams that's having a day of 5.0 yards a carry. You're having Melvin Gordon out there, 4.7. At one point, the Broncos were at eight yards a carry in the run game in the third quarter, and yet you're going to start dispersing it. Montreal Washington, yeah, I like the little trick play that you did with Montreal Washington. I truly do. You know, and I do believe that when you draft him, there's an immediate package like that that you're going to put in for him. But the Cortland Sutton run? I could have did without that, especially after Cortland just had a big explosive. Right. It's kind of like, what are we doing? We're after he just ran and got you a big chunk of yards out the out in the passing game. Now you're going to have him kind of run like a jet sweep or a reverse type of action. Makes no sense to me. Andrew Beck, third and two. We're running the option. Andrew Beck is getting the ball. <laughs> his second career, his second touch in his career, instead of turning around and handing the ball to Javante Williams or turning around and handing the ball to Melvin Gordon. So that stuff makes no sense to me. And I know that Russell, every time Russell's going to have an opportunity to, to run the football, whether it's, hey, he's running or it's a, it's a situation where he's trying to buy time. So Russell's going to show up on the Russian um, statistic each and every week. But Jerry Judy... Third and two. Why the heck are we handing Jerry Judy a, a sweep? And, and good for him. He showed some toughness. He went and got it. But why are we not turning around and handing the ball to Javante Williams or Melvin Gordon in that situation? So I, I just truly believe that there should never be seven ball carriers in a game. And by the way, there was no injuries but one to a wide receiver offensively yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I think that the... The strive for balance is a good thing offensively, uh, but I don't think we need balance as far as the number of guys who catch the ball and run the ball. That is it for Big O and I. Thanks for filling in for Nate on Friday and today, buddy. Uh, I think we got some uh, news that will be unveiled tomorrow, from my understanding. Uh, Stokely and Zach, those guys are up next on a Overreaction Monday. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.